Well, my name is Byron. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Byron. Sandy, thanks for asking me to speak. Um, it's been forever since I since I kind of gave my pitch or whatever, but um, I don't know. I mean, I think all of our stories start out pretty much the same way. <laughs> you know what it was like, what what happened, and what it's like now. And um, I don't know. I I I don't think I had like. You know, I've been through treatment and a lot of stuff and heard a lot of people go through some really horrible things when they were younger and really dysfunctional families and things like that. And, like, I never really – I felt, I always felt like I came from a really good family. Um, I didn't have anything, like, crazy traumatic happen to me. Um, so I guess, you know, that kind of brings me around to um, – alcoholism to me always felt like it was a personal character flaw. Uh the way I drank and how much trouble I got in and all that kind of stuff like that. And, um, you know, like I've done, I've been through the steps like numerous times and stuff. And I've come to a lot of realizations after going through all that. And, um, you know, for me personally, I never felt like I was ever part of my family. We were talking a little bit about before the meeting kind of being the middle child or whatever. Um, I think a lot of middle children do kind of go through that, but I got an older brother that I'm nothing like. I got a younger brother that I'm nothing like. And uh, I honestly thought I was adopted. And I remember thinking that when I was like, you know, like a little kid. You know, I was like, there's no way I'm part of this family. And uh, uh, I'm nothing like my dad. Um, so I, I guess I grew up feeling like I wasn't part of. And I know for me now today, it's important for me to feel like I'm part of something. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of that stuff wasn't true that I thought initially. But, um, you know, it's kind of interesting we get in Alcoholics Anonymous and it, you know, the book talks about being able to tell, distinguish between the true and the false. Um, you know, it's, um, you tell yourself something long enough and it's your truth or, you know, how you perceive things is your truth, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Um, and you know, I went through a lot of that growing up as a kid and, um, uh, you know, I, I, uh, you know, my mom used to make me like get involved in sports, especially when I was in high school, because kids my age would only get in trouble if we had free time. Well, the guys that gave me a ride home from football practice were getting me stoned. You know what I mean? So, so I mean, that's when I was like my first exposure to drugs, and um, you know, they were older than me, seniors and stuff. And um, um, I, you know, something they, you know, I went through like all the dare programs and stuff in school, but something they never tell you is like. You know, drugs feel good, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like it's miserable. People aren't doing it because it's, like, not enjoyable. Um, like, long-term use is definitely not enjoyable, but, man, it, it is a, it's a thrill. And, um, uh, you know, I started... Um, I will say that during all that, I felt extremely guilty for what I was doing um, because I was raised with, you know, in a Christian family and stuff like that, and I felt bad about what I was doing. Um, but I liked it, so I kept doing it. And, um, um, you know, I started drinking at a really young age, and I wouldn't say it really took off for me until I turned 16 and I could start driving. Um, and it was, you know, my high school experience was basically every single weekend was, was getting drunk. And um, I've really latched on to alcohol. You know, I've had plenty of friends over the years, and it, you notice what does it for what people. You know what I mean? Uh, I had some friends that just smoked pot. Other friends were into other chemicals and things like that. And everyone had their thing that worked for them. And alcohol worked for me. And um, I was blacking out at a very young age on alcohol. And um, 
you know, it's like, I remember the first couple times it happened, it scared me. And it was like a sense of powerlessness right off the bat. Like, man, I didn't even mean for that to happen. I don't even know what I did during this time frame right here. Um, and it was kind of scary. And um, so to be honest with you guys, like the, my entire drinking career, and this is how I know I'm an alcoholic, is it was my only goal was to not black out and not go to jail. <laughs> and no matter how hard I tried, those two things always happened. And I got arrested for the first time when I was 16. I think I'd had my driver's license for, I don't know, maybe seven months or something. And I got arrested and DUI'd. Um, you know, I got arrested again shortly after. I don't even think I'd been sentenced for the first one. Um, and I got another DUI. And, um, you know, the countless vain attempts, I guess. Um, I know for me, I went through the system. I think I got arrested a total of four times. Um, I'm not going to get into like a huge drunk log or whatever, but um, it was all characterized by me trying to control it. The, they wrote a book about us in there. You know, I put together links the time where I thought I had it. I was like, ah, oh, I finally figured it out. If I keep doing it like this, it's going to work. And st- still followed by even worse, you know, um, event. You know, and um, this internal struggle was my entire drinking career. It was it was like the vain attempt to control and enjoy it. And I, I looked around me and I thought, man, these other people are doing it. How come I can't do it? And um, like I, I wouldn't wish going through the, the legal system upon anybody, um, but for me personally, it really helped like crush my ego. And like uh, the first time I got arrested, I was 16. I was like, I'm not going to let this guy arrest me. He doesn't know who I am. You know, and I got slammed on my face and cuffed and, you know, thrown in the clink at the juvenile hall. The last arrest I had, I said, man, just put me in the back of the car so we can go downtown and get some sleep. You know, it was like the fight was over. I got to the point with drinking where I knew um, if I kept doing this, this is the result I'm going to get every single time. I might be able to put together some time where it's not so bad or whatever, but it always ends up happening. And, um, you know... At the end, kind of at the end of all of that, I think one of the last arrests I got, you know, I, I was young, guys. Um, um, but, uh, you know, I had no life. I, I wasn't going, my goal in life wasn't to go through college and get a degree and get a job. It was to not black out and not to go to jail. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'd kind of become estranged from my family. You know, it was like, you know, I talk about, like, kind of feeling like I never fit in or whatever, but... Uh, my granddad was a, an attorney in Chattanooga, the town I grew up in. My dad was an attorney there, like very well known. Um, and I went through the legal system on the other end of it. And um, it was, you know, it was embarrassing to my dad. And um, I think he told me that at one point, you know, that was. And I can understand that. I'm around all his colleagues and stuff like that. And, I'm, you know, um, and it was. And, uh you know, now my older brother's an attorney and practices law with my dad. And uh, my younger brother's going to law school, and I'm out here in Arizona. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, I've come a long way with a lot of that. And even my kids today are like, Dad, you're like nothing like your brothers or, you know, your family. It's crazy. Like, none of them hunt. They don't fish. They don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I turned out the way I turned out, but it's okay. And, um, um, you know, so that so that was it. And one of the last arrests I got, um, uh, you know, I had been broken several times. 
But, you know, we usually shake that off after a day or two. Um, but, you know, I was like, man, I, I'm like completely broken right now. Like, no matter how hard I try, the same stuff keeps happening to me. And, I, and there's like, I got no driver's license. I hadn't driven in years. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, it was just, I was completely dependent on people to take me places and do things. And, um, uh, you know, I, I didn't have a driver's license all through high school. <laughs> Uh, you know, and that's something a lot of people, you know, get to do or whatever. And, um, I finally went to my parents and I asked them for help and I didn't know this at the time, but they'd been going to a program called family anonymous, which is very similar to Al-Anon. Um, and they'd been going to it for like years. <laughs> and, um, I remember being mad when I found out they were doing that and, um, they took me to a, a meeting that was next to their meeting. It was an NA meeting, and I couldn't even I couldn't even talk hearing it. And um, I ended up going and seeing like this counselor, and he, and we were going to see if I was an alcoholic. And um, there was like a test you can take, and he ran me through the test or whatever, and I answered all the questions honestly. And when he got done, he said, "I know what you're going to think." He said, "You're going to think a lot of these questions apply to people that are older than you." Because a lot of them were about money and like how much money you spend on stuff and, and stuff like that. And he said, but you're an alcoholic. And he said, uh, you know, the only way I've ever seen people your age stay sober is if you remove yourself from the environment like you're in right now. Around all your friends and stuff like that. And I said, well, what does that look like? He's like, you need to go to treatment somewhere else and not live here. <laughs> and I wasn't willing to do that, you know. And after several days, you know, I shook off that. I talked myself out of it, you know, and um, I stayed out another year after that. And um, that was the most depressing year of my life. And, um, like, I was, you know, the, the big book talks about, like, the bedevilments in there, like, um, not being able to control our emotions and, like, you know, it's, it's describing being at bottom. And um, I cried all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, I hated... Like, I was miserable drinking. It wasn't working anymore. But if I didn't drink, then I was, like, ripping my skin off because I couldn't stand sitting still. And I was just, I was, you know, insane. And um, uh, I think it finally came down to I just snapped. And I said, I went to my parents. And I said, man, I got to go. I wasn't living at home and I hadn't in years. But I said, I got to do something. And they're like, well, what did that guy tell you when you went and saw him? And he's like, he told me to leave town. <laughs> and uh, they're like, well, what? Like, my parents had a good Al-Anon program. And they said, well, why don't you call them and ask them what you should do? Because um, I tried to move back in with them, and they weren't having it. Um, and I called him, and he recommended uh, a treatment center in Wickenburg, the Meadows. And, um, you know, I, I called, and I cried on the phone to whatever lady I talked to there. Um, and then I was like, man, this place sounds insanely expensive. And my mom and dad were like, I don't care. You're going. We'll figure it out. And, um, anyways, it was December 16th, 2002, they put me on a plane in Nashville, Tennessee, and I had a suitcase, and that's, I don't know, I can't remember if I had drank or anything before that day or not, but that's what I consider my sobriety date, um, and, yeah, I got on a plane, and I started flying out to Arizona, and we talk a lot about ego in here, and self, and... Um, all that. I was talking to Sandy last week at the meeting about that. Like, is it the same for women? Like the ego thing? Because um, I know for men, it's it's pretty out of control, you know. And I don't know. As soon as the plane door shut, 
self jumped in and said, Byron, you just really fucked up. I said, you can't get off the plane. I was like, you overreacted to this. Like, you made a huge mistake. This is dumb. What are you thinking? You can handle this, blah, 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 all that stuff. And I was so incredibly miserable for that four-hour flight. You know, stewardesses are asking me if I'm okay. And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. Like, I was just wearing it. You know what I mean? The internal conflict, um, the head games, like all that stuff. And, um, like, luckily when I landed, um, I had told the guy, you know, obviously what plane I was on and what I was wearing. And he was sitting right there and he grabbed me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I was going to go down to the, the desk and buy a return flight, a return flight and not do it. And um, so that started the recovery process for me. I ended up in a 35-day treatment center. Um, I can honestly say that I think, you know, I don't know. I guess everything happens for a reason, and it's all part of the process. But, like, I didn't get, like, a whole lot done in a 35-day treatment center. Like, fresh off the street, thrown in there, like, you're going to get, like, you know, we talk about peeling the onion in here. Like, that all all doesn't happen in 35 days. I I don't care what kind of work you do. I would say I didn't even, like, barely scratch the surface of my issues in that 35-day treatment center. It was basically 35 days of drying out is what it was for me. And, um, you know, from there, they, 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 I didn't know what I was going to do, but the interesting thing was, is, uh, and I didn't really put it together at the time, but my parents didn't buy me a return flight after 35 days. You know what I mean? It was a one-way ticket. And I didn't really, I didn't really realize that, but, like, that was, <laughs> you know, yeah, it was whatever. And, and they, they referred me to a, an extended care facility in Prescott, and it was called the Prescott House. And um, um, I didn't, I thought about what do I have at home? If I go back to Tennessee, what's there for me? And all it was was bad memories, man, and just bad energy. And you know what I'm saying? Like, just all that incomprehensible demoralization that comes along with drinking, like, that's all that was there for me. It was like, um, I was so embarrassed about how I acted and how I behaved and, like, all that stuff. And um, honestly, I, I wouldn't have stayed sober if I had to go home and face that at 35 days sober. There's no way. Um, you know, I spent – I checked into treatment December 16th. I spent Christmas in a treatment center. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was so embarrassed about going to treatment. Uh, I didn't tell any of my friends that I was going to treatment, and I told my mom, like, don't tell people where I am. Like, I felt like a quitter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't hang, you know, it was like, I felt like I was letting my friends down because I was tapping out, you know what I mean? And it was like insane, (laughs) you know what I mean? Uh, I had tried to talk to some of my friends about how I felt and like the struggle and it was just, there's no talking about that to another practicing alcoholic or an addict. And, um, and I don't know, I felt like I was completely on my own with the sobriety thing. And, um, uh, I went through the 35 days in press or there and I went to Prescott and that's kind of where um, I, I got exposed to Alcoholics Anonymous with court cards and stuff like that um, but I'd never really been a member of Alcoholics Anonymous um, and it wasn't until like I moved up to Prescott that I got heavily involved in Alcoholics Anonymous because part of that um, that treatment center I was in up there was you know you got to go to you got to go to a meeting every day um, they it was like Old school sobriety at that treatment place. Very confrontational, in your face, confront the ego, confront the addict. Um, and, you know, it was it was intense. And uh, it was a hard program with a very low graduation rate. Um, 
very, very low graduation rate. And um, um, I ended up graduating that program. But once again, that program, too, was kind of about shattering the ego, surrendering, and doing something different. You know what I mean? Not, not doing, you know, I mean, the big thing there was your best thinking got you here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but during that time, I started going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. And um, there was a morning group up there called Crazy Birds, and it started at 6 a.m. And uh, I started going to that meeting. It was there seven days a week. Um, and I can remember, like, uh, being part of that group, um, like, you know, I I felt at home in there. And talk about wanting to be part of something, I felt like I was part of that group. Um, and I got a sponsor in that group. And their big thing was um, work the 12 steps. Get a sponsor and work the steps. And... Um, so I got a sponsor, and he took me through the book, and um, and we worked the steps. And I can honestly say the first time I went through the steps, I did do it the best that I could for the person I was at that time. Um, we talk about peeling the onion or whatever. I, you know, 35 days in an intensive inpatient treatment center, I just barely scratched the surface. You know, going through the steps for the first time, I honestly just barely scratched the surface again. I mean, it was like uh, my head didn't even work right at that time. You know what I mean? I, 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 could, I could read the big book, and it didn't make any sense. You know what I mean? It was like I was fried. And, um, and I did a lot of drugs and stuff, too. And it was just, I did the best I could. And, um, but, but I did get heavily involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, I really appreciate people that share now. Like, one of the first things they'll say is, you know, I got a sponsor that's got a sponsor. I got a service commitment here. I got three guys underneath me right now going through the steps. And my sobriety date is this. And, um, you know, doing all those things has been the most beneficial thing for me in my sobriety. And, um, it's weird cause I got like, I've had all this crazy crap happening at work. Um, it's been insane. Like last weekend, like I, the weekend before I wasn't sleeping, I was so stressed out about the stuff at work and all this stuff is happening. And then Sandy asked me to speak and it's like, well, man, there's only like one way I know to truly get out of myself and not think about myself, and that's being of service. Whether it's to a sponsee, going through the book, or whatever, but freedom for me is not thinking about myself. You know, and um, I can remember in the beginning, my sponsor said, you need to go sit in a room and just be still for five minutes and don't do anything. And that was like impossible. You know what I mean? That was like pulling my hair out. Five minutes seemed like it took three hours. And, um, you know, we talk about being uncomfortable in your own skin. And, uh, you know, like, I don't ever want to be a newcomer again. That was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Um, you talk about being on the fence. I was probably on the fence for the first two years. I was to the point where it's was like, man, if it doesn't get any better than this, there's no point. You know what I mean? And, um, um, but I kept after it. There's one thing I have done, and it's all, I've always stayed moving. And, um, you know, I... Ended up getting another sponsor and, um, you know, working the steps again. And um, my life was getting better. Um, the second sponsor I had, I got my driver's license back. Um, I did everything, like, what was in front of me the best that I could. And I took all the right steps, and I got my driver's license back. And my sponsor drove me to the MVD. <laughs> we went in there, I got my driver's license, and I'm bawling my eyes out. I turn around, and we're hugging each other in the MVD in front of everybody. You know what I mean? That was like like a huge, huge deal for me. 
And um, we walked out of the MVD, and he handed me his keys, and he goes, drive us home. You know, the keys to his truck. And that was like, you know what I mean? That was crazy. I'm still in contact with him. His name's Tom, and he's a really great guy. Still lives in Prescott. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I try not to focus too much on, like, what it was like, but, you know, what? How I know I'm an alcoholic is because I can't control how much I drink once I start drinking. And no matter how hard I try, I can't control my drinking. And, um, uh, and alcohol did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Um, and I ended up getting sober because alcohol stopped working. And it wasn't doing what it had originally done for me. You know, in the beginning, people were like, that alcohol's not working for you. But it was. You know, there were a lot of negative consequences. But it did for me... It gave me a sense of ease and comfort that I couldn't find anywhere else. And um, um, talking about sobriety, I've I have had my struggles in sobriety, guys. I really have. Um, I guess there was delusional thinking that if I got sober, everything was just going to be great. Alcohol was my problem. If I just got rid of the alcohol, my life would be just wonderful. And you know, you got rid of the alcohol, and I realized how how alcohol is really but a symptom of my real problem. You know, and um, I'm a firm believer in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I think, um, like, I'm all about the big book. I'm not a, like, I, I really don't read the 12 and 12 hardly at all or really any other approved AA literature. Like, I'm a big book guy, and um, I think that that's, that is where the message of Alcoholics Anonymous is. And um, the more I've read the book over the years of staying sober, you know, every time I've gone through the steps and read that book, it's meant something different at the time. And it's like I heard it differently for the first time that I ever heard it before. And, you know, my sponsors told me, it's like, well, you aren't the same person you were when you read it the last time. You know, you're at a different spot in life, and it means something different to you right now. And um, that's like a living document almost or something. It's um, – I love the big book. <laughs> I really do. They wrote a book about us. And um, I'd say – I came in here very much not a fan of God, <laughs> you know what I mean, or anything like that. And um, it started with, you know, the willingness to just try something different. I didn't even want to work the steps. Um, but I did have a spiritual awakening as a result of working the steps. And that felt good. And I've always been a big fan of feeling good. So I worked them again. You know what I mean? And I, I truly believe in working the steps um, throughout my sobriety. I ended up, um, I think I was like two or three years sober. I ended up hooking up with an older woman in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, and we ended up um, getting married eventually. Um, but it was um, uh, well, a lot of things were not right with it. <laughs> and talk about impulsive and stuff like that. Like typical alcoholic stuff. Um, but regardless, we had two children. I was way too young at the time to have children. I was 25 years old. Um, and she was older than me and ready for it. But, man, I, I have never been more scared in all my life. And um, that was in 2008 when the economy crashed. And it was, um, you know, I was banging nails at the time, and I couldn't support a family. And um, I can remember, we talk about ego and all that stuff. Um, I was so incredibly embarrassed that I couldn't do it. And um, I didn't talk to people about it. I tried to handle it all on my own. And over several years, you know, I ended up going back to school and trying to do everything I could to keep this thing together. Um, and no matter what I did, it fell apart. And um, 
you know, my ex-wife, um, she, you know, I mean, it has been, when it finally ended, that was in, um, we'd moved down here because I got a good job after school and stuff. Um, and that was in, uh, I think it was um, nine years ago. So it was probably in 2010 or 11. That was that was a rock bottom for me in sobriety. And um, um, I was, we talk about the bedevilments in the big book. I was in all of them again, man. And um, I was in a very toxic, unhealthy relationship. I wasn't the man I wanted to be. When we moved down here, I did not get plugged into Alcoholics Anonymous. It was a year I went. And I focused on um, making money and the career stuff because that was going to make everything better. My problem was is I didn't have enough money. Um, and I completely and totally lost sight of you know, a lot of important stuff. Every meeting I went to, I was living in Surprise. It was like uh, Sun City area. You know, I'd go to these meetings and there's like all these old people in there. And I was like, man, I don't fit in here. This isn't my scene. You know, I don't like how they do things down here. I'm just not going to go anymore. And... I share that part of my um, sobriety with people, and I'm not like necessarily proud of it, but um, I caused a lot of wreckage during that time from untreated alcoholism. And um, um, Once again, alcohol is but a symptom. I was acting like a practicing alcoholic. I just wasn't drinking. And, um, you know, I... Um, that, was, that was the hardest bottom I hit, but, but my ex-wife, she left me. And, um, you know, I ended up, um, I was living in a travel trailer in Apache Junction in an RV park and just barely making ends meet, paying the child support and all that stuff. And I was bottomed out. And it wasn't until, like, I, I, I knew I needed to get back in Alcoholics Anonymous and get plugged in and I wanted to go through the steps. And I was hitting meetings everywhere I, I could out there and I went through three people. I was like, and I asked all of them, you know, have you been through the steps? Would you be willing to take me through the steps? And like, they, they all said yes, but it was like not, it wasn't like I, it wasn't starting on page one of the big book and going through the steps. It was like, uh, well, I think you need to start at step eight and make amends to your ex-wife. It's like, ah, I don't want to do it like that. I'll go to the next one. The next one's like, yeah, we can do one, two, and three, but I don't think you're ready for four and five. We'll jump. And I'm like, ah, I don't want to do that either. You know, I mean, I guess the frustration for me was was how difficult it was to find somebody that would take me through the steps. And because um, that's that's all I knew to do at the time. And um, it wasn't until I found a group called Knuckleheads that was in um, it was a men's stag meeting, and it was in like the Scottsdale Tempe area. And um, it was an hour and a half long meeting. I remember I went there and sat down. I was like, man, it was a bunch of guys my age with long-term sobriety um, and newcomers too. And I was like, man, I finally found something that feels good. Like this is like how I like doing AA. And um, during the break, they had like a, a chair there that was like a sponsor chair. And they said this group, he makes an announcement during the announcements. And he says, at this group, we believe strongly in sponsorship. Um, we believe a sponsor is someone that's been through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous that's had a spiritual awakening as a result of that, and that's somebody that can take you through the 12 steps. If you haven't been through the 12 steps or you're currently not in the 12 steps, please come see me after the meeting or at break, and we'll hook you up with somebody. So I walked up to that guy at break, and he said, what's going on? <laughs> 
and I gave him a brief rundown of what was going on, like how long I'd been sober and all that stuff. And um, after the meeting, he said, okay, we'll get with you. And after the meeting, a guy named Bob walked up to me and just handed me his phone number, and he said, call me. And um, I could get emotional thinking about this, but, like, Bob had been through everything I was already going through. You know, he was on the other side of, like, the divorce and all that stuff. Um, and he, uh, he asked me if I had a big book, and I said, yeah, I got a big book. He goes, well, go home and call, call, me, call me tomorrow night. And I called him the next night, and he said, okay, meet me here tomorrow. And I met him there tomorrow, and we opened the big book, and we started going through it. And he took me through the steps, 1 through 12, just like it's laid out in the book, and my life got better. And um, that was like me climbing out of the hole I dug for myself. And um, it took me a long time to get to a place where I could say I was emotionally stable again. Um, And, you know, today it's like um, I stuck with it. I didn't give up. Um, I ended up making a, I had a huge amends list for things I had done in sobriety. Um, And I went through that amends list and I did it as thoroughly as I could. Um, And that was the first time in my life I had gotten like this, it it was the most beneficial thing I'd ever done was make those amends. It was like uh, the most freeing experience I've ever had. And and they didn't all go like that in the beginning or whatever, but... um, you know, it it definitely was a huge game changer for me in my sobriety. And um, so, yeah, ever since then, man, like I've, you know, I got a sponsor that's got a sponsor. You know what I'm saying? I'm on step two right now <laughs> again. And it's, you know, it's, it's a completely different deal for me now. Um, it was two years ago. You know, my ex-wife has been in and out. And um, it's been like I've been through hell, man. Um, with children involved and like all that stuff. And, um, thank God, like I've had this program to get myself stabilized and and able to do what I've had to do. Um, you know, I, I ended up getting the kids like almost three years ago, um, from like a bad situation, (laughs) you know? And it was like, um, I've, you know, I, I'd never been part of Al-Anon, but I started going to Al-Anon because I had like, I didn't know how. I'd never been on the other side of this. I know how my family feels now, watching me do what I did. Um, watching my ex-wife do what she's done has been the most painful thing I've ever had to witness. And it was like, um, it sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I'm talking cars getting repoed. You know what I'm saying? Like stalkers, windows breaking. Just horrible crap. Nothing kids should be around. And, um, you know, I... I Thank God, like I, you know, I've, um, pr- like my main goal was to provide those children with stability. And I've, I think I've done a really good job of that. Um, stuff they weren't used to, you know, breakfast every morning at a certain time, dinner in the afternoon at the same time, brush your teeth twice a day, take a shower every night, you know, stuff like that. And it was, um, uh, that's a gift of this program that I was able to do that and have been able to do that. And, um, you know, for me, um, my ex-wife is sober again. Um, and it seems like she's doing pretty well and it's, um, I don't know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? But like, I, I, I'm not scared about what's going to happen with all that anymore. And, um, cause it's going to be all right. And, um, you know, and yeah, and, and as far as my relationship with my family goes, like I, 
I'm way more like my dad than I ever knew before. You know what I'm saying? And my other family members. Like, how I thought I was not like them at all, it's like I have so many similarities with all of them. Um, but, you know, like, they say, and I learned a lot about this in al how alcoholism is a family disease. And um, I truly believe that. And, um, you know, I, my parents started the recovery process by going to Al-Anon, or Family Anonymous. Um, and it's kind of spread through that. Um, I, you know, I've come to some major realizations from being in sobriety and from staying after the steps. And, um, like, one of them has been, and I, and I don't share this at, like, every meeting or anything like that, but, like, when I was, I had to have been in, like, second grade or something, and my mom and dad sat me and my two brothers down, and my mom told me about she had a brother, and her brother's name was Byron. And my mom grew up in, like, Morton, Mississippi. It's on the map. You'll have to look for it, but it's there. And, um... You know, when she was like, I think she was like eight, and someone left a shotgun out fully loaded, and she picked it up, and she thought it was a toy, and she shot her brother and killed him. And it was like, uh, she named me after him. And I don't know, I guess at the time she told me, I was like, well, why me? You know what I mean? Like, it didn't really register with me, but like, there was a lot of things I took on right then and there that I didn't even do consciously. It's like I made up a story for why things the way they were and why she named me that. And I went through my whole young adulthood believing it 100%. You know, and after I've gotten in sobriety, I've talked to my mom about that. You know, and the things I thought about it just weren't true. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just wasn't. It was delusional. And it was, um, you know, I think for me, sobriety has been the discovery of what's really true. Um, and it, that gets really cloudy with a lot of stuff, but um, you know that's just one example of like one of the like just amazing things that's happened to me in sobriety. And um, you know my life's better now than I ever imagined it would be. Um, I can remember first third step I ever did. It's like you know what do you want out of sobriety? What you, what do you want your life to look like? And I made you know I wrote down a list and all this stuff. Man, I've gotten. I, I, I shortchanged myself big time. You know what I mean? I've gotten, it's not material stuff. There has been plenty of material stuff, but, you know, the life, the life I have today and the person I am today is all a result of this program. And um, as bad as it sucks, like going through hard stuff in life and working through it makes us who we are. You know what I mean? It's, I joke around with people in sobriety. It's like, oh, great, another learning experience or another opportunity to grow, you know? And, um, Life on life's terms, you know what I mean. Um, th- you know, thank God for the for the tools and gifts of this program. I can't even tell you guys how many wonderful people I've met in here. Um, I'm still friends with all the sponsors I've had over the years. Um, you know, and um, very very grateful for people who have done it before me and that could pass it along. And um, so yeah, that's my pitch. I appreciate you guys letting me share out here. That's all I got. Thank you. Thanks, 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 Thanks. 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 Thanks.